You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Welcome to another beautiful Sunday morning, isn't it? For the newcomers and those listening online, a warm welcome to you as well. And as for the regular members, many blessings. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. We continue to give thanks for your continued prayer for our family, in particular my mother-in-law, Suli, who has undergone surgery for lung cancer. And I'm glad to report uh, she continues to be on the mend and recovering well. Now today we take a break, uh, as we heard earlier, from our regular sermon series, uh, so as to be in sync with the cross culture in the city. So today, instead of the Grace Changes Everything sermon series, we'll be looking at putting our faith into practice from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. As always, before we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us and give us a year to hear what he has for us today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of scripture. We just pray, dear Lord, that as we expound on your word, as we study your word, that you just speak to us, convict us, teach us, and train us in your righteousness. We thank you for the blessings and may the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak be holy and acceptable to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, putting our faith into practice. Now, how do we do that? As a young Christian back in the day, I've always wondered what it means to put my faith into practice. It's just about, is it just about going to church? Is it about praying more? Or perhaps I should serve in church more? What does it mean? What does it mean to put our faith into practice? Much like me, I'm sure the Philippians were probably asking the same question. After all, they were a new church planted by the Apostle Paul. So to help us answer this question, we'll be looking at Paul's exhortation to these new Christians in the Philippian church. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open it with me and follow me as we work through the passage from Scripture. Now I've divided the Paul's exhortation into three parts to hopefully help us to understand exhortation a little better. And they are, Firstly, rejoice. Secondly, putting our faith on him. And lastly, but not least, by faith do what God has commanded us to do. So let's look at the first point, rejoice. Now Paul begins his exhortation by telling the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I don't know about you or as a young kid, I, I was taught this song in Sunday school. It said, maybe you recall it. It goes something like this. Rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. You know, those words sound familiar to you? Yeah, oh, great. I'm glad that Sunday school is working. You still remember those songs. Now, to be honest, I just found the lyrics and tune rather catchy. And I never really thought much about those words or what this song is really about. What does it mean to rejoice? Why do we need to rejoice in the Lord always? Why? Now, if you recall from the introductions, introduction of the Ephesians series, just the talk of grace alone excited Paul. 
So much so that he just rambles through a whole list of blessings that we have received through grace. He was so excited about God that he couldn't contain his excitement or even take a breath when he wrote that sentence. Indeed, we should all be as excited as Paul is of God's grace. And we should all rejoice. Not just rejoice for the moment, but rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice because our God loves you. Rejoice because He cares. Rejoice because He chose you to be His children. Out of all the people of the entire world, He chose you to be part of His eternal family. Rejoice because we have a hope. No longer are we slaves to sin or death or the world. No longer are we destined for eternal death and damnation. We have a hope. Rejoice because we have been redeemed. Rejoice because we are part of God's plan for the world also. We have been blessed with good news. How much more should we be excited, excited to share that good news with others? Now, we don't keep good news to ourselves. We rejoice and let the world see the joy that we have in Christ. Rejoice because you are not only redeemed, but you have also been raised up. We are not worthy. We are unworthy. But, God of, but because of God, we've been given a place of honor to be called co-heirs with Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Our joy should be overflowing and infectious. Our joy should be like Adele in this video. See how much joy there is? Now, <laughs> oh, isn't that joy? So endearing. Don't you want to share in that lovely moment? Friends, don't let your joy in the Lord be hidden. Let it shine through. Nobody wants to share your grumpiness, but your joy. Now, that's a different thing. I'm sure many will want to join in or perhaps even participate in your joy. I remember last Christmas Eve when we had a wonderful, wonderful carol service in this, church, in this very hall. There were people all the way from the other side of town that came to join us for some singing and dancing and we celebrated Christmas together with so much joy. That really had a great time of rejoicing and singing carols with us. They had so much fun. Friends, that is what our faith should be. Full of joy and excitement about what God has done for each and every one of us in this room. Share your testimony. Share your blessings. Share your heart and passion. And most importantly, share the joy that the Lord has given you. Rejoice. But Elvin, some of you may say, it's hard to rejoice when things are not going quite so well. I'm sick 
or my family members sick, or I lost my job, or I'm financially, or I'm, I have financial difficulty, or I'm troubled with the burdens of the world. How can I rejoice when all of these burdens of the world are upon my shoulders? Friends, the ability to rejoice in good times and in tough times is a testimony to our faith. Faith knowing that our God has our back. Our God has our back. Faith knowing that God will not allow us to carry more than we can bear. Faith mindful that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, is right there with you, walking as you journey through your trials. Remembering that we have the year of our Creator and God, and He cares about you and He loves you. That's the most important part. He loves you. Now, earlier this year, we lost a precious friend in our life group, and I want to remember her today. Now, for those of you who know who I'm talking about, it's Rena, our dear sister. The thing I remember most about her is her joy. The ability to rejoice even in the smallest of things. Despite having a tumor and confronted with the possibility of death, the one thing she never stopped doing is rejoicing. And that, to me, is her testimony of her faith. Despite the challenges she encountered, she embraced God. She rejoiced in Him. He didn't blame God for the situation that she's in. Despite the chemicals or the chemotherapy taking a toll on her body, her energy and her spirit cannot be matched. No matter what she was going through, she never gave up rejoicing. There's always a smile on her face. And for that, I will always remember her. She has indeed taught me so much. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful things may get, God says, sorry, Paul says, rejoice. Now, Paul was no stranger to these things. At the time of writing this letter to the Philippians, he was probably somewhere in Rome in a prison. And prisons in Rome is not like the prison we have today, where it talks about welfare and everything. It's dark. It's dingy. It's a place where you roll up and just wait to die. You get tormented by the jailers. But Paul was able to rejoice. Why? Because he recalls the joy that he has in the Lord. He remembers the things that God has done for him and in him. Even in his persecution, he can sing praises with all of his heart and even encourage others to rejoice and sing with him. Friends, I hope we all can do the same. Let us rejoice and let our joy in the Lord be a testimony to others. So that they may see and know the goodness of our God and our Lord. Let our reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Now the Greek word here is notoriously hard to translate. So where does reasonableness come from? Now Paul's command comes after he tells us twice to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Why would Paul put these commands back to back? Perhaps it's because God's grace is the foundation of our joy. And the joy that comes from tasting God's grace overflows to the rest of the world. In this way, we can show grace to others around us. Rejoicing in God and His grace then lets God's grace overflow from our hearts to everyone else. The joyful Christian who models reasonableness is someone who knows that there is nothing to lose. We have nothing to prove. We are free to bear with people longer than others think we should. Now, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. People who are ha very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. A reasonable Christian assumes the best, willingly overlooking someone else's faults, and in grace, chooses to bear with flawed people. They are less likely to be nitpickers. They do not look for reasons to be offended. They are known for grace. Why? Because the Lord is near, Paul says. Whether that means God is with you or that Jesus is coming soon, the point is we have security. We have a beloved God and we are empowered by the hope in Christ Jesus. We are free to show grace. No longer bound by the rules of the world, a, a critical, vicious and selfish world that thinks about self first before others. Now isn't it nice to be around people like this? Are more people attracted to people like this? Isn't this what the church should be like? Our faith as community is demonstrated by our love for one another, Scripture tells us. That the whole world may see and know that we are truly His disciples when we love one another. That is what sets us apart from the rest of this world. Verse 6 goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything. The definition of faith is to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. If you want to put our faith into action, then Paul is right in saying, Do not be anxious. Max Lucado in his book, Finding Calm in the Chaotic World, writes, The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. It's a life of perpetual anxiety that Paul wants to address. Don't let anything in life leave you perpetually in angst. 
Now, Ethan, my son, is the perpetuation of anxiety. He goes absolutely bananas when we go to the dentist, and he will laugh. You see him laughing in the front. As he lays in the seat, he will bow his eyes out and cover his mouth with both hands and refusing to let the dentist do her thing. He's absolutely terrified of the dentist, especially when he knows he's got to get a tooth out. Now, once I had to hold his hands down and the dentist had to pry his mouth open. After 30 minutes of crying and screaming, can you imagine all the people outside in the waiting room listening to the commotion in the dental treatment room? After the dentist pulled out his teeth and he, we were free to go, I asked him after we left, was it really that bad? He actually said he was actually all right. You see, the anxiety got the better of him. What would have been a three-minute treatment lasted half an hour. And it was all because he was scaring himself and prolonging his agony. The prison of anxiety is truly optional. How we deal with it is really our choice. Prolonging our agony or putting our faith in God. Knowing that he knows what's best for us. It's your choice. Your choice. Don't know what to do with your anxiety. Verse 6 tells us, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, bring your cares and concerns to the Lord in prayer. And have faith that God will take care of everything for you. Put your faith in Him. He loves you. He cares for you. And He wants the best for you. So trust Him. Trust Him. In Matthew 21, verses 21 to 22, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what He has been doing to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So put your faith in him. Put your faith in him. Verse 10, 7 tells us, that when we put our faith in Him, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Putting our faith in something intangible is tough and difficult. We feel insecure putting our faith in a God that we cannot see or touch, isn't it? You know, my kids are currently going through this very phase in their faith journey. They, are, they often ask me, Dad, how do I know God is real? I can neither see Him nor touch Him, nor hear directly from Him. How can we put our faith in a God that we do not even know if He exists or not? These are indeed tough questions. And if we had answers for everything, this will also not be called faith. But if you do want to explore these questions, I can point you to some very good resources that Kiki and I use for ourselves and for our kids. 
But the one thing we should not do is to say to our kids, you cannot ask those questions. Instead, explore these questions with your children. It's a great opportunity for discipleship. But it is indeed an important question. How do we trust our lives to a God that we cannot, we can neither see nor touch? That is why it, the scripture says it surpasses all understanding. Now most times we want to do something about our situation, isn't it? We want real trouble, tangible solutions to our problems. But does it really solve the problem that we are facing? Faith in God's providence does not automatically always translate to a physical outcome. Sometimes the answer to anxiety is not a physical solution, but rather the peace of God that guards your heart in Christ Jesus. Putting our faith in Him is trusting in God, knowing that we do not have all the answers. To humble ourselves, to acknowledge that we do not truly understand what we truly need. Exercising our faith is to put our trust in God, our Creator, to know what is best for us. This picture says it all. He gives us what we truly need, not a short-term solution that only provides us with temporary relief. God offers us something more. He offers Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, and that is all we truly need. Anxiety is an inevitable part of the human experience, but God has a plan for us, a plan of peace and love and I'd love to encourage you today by reflecting on that holy plan. That's according to Jimmy Melado from Compassion. Want to put your faith into action? Ask God what He wants of you and I. By faith, then do what God has commanded you to do. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Exercising our faith is not just saying, I believe. Our actions show our faith also. Paul calls us to do whatever is true. To do whatever is honorable, to do whatever is just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Don't focus on the negatives of your life. Instead, look out and give thanks to God for the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Focus our minds on these things. And in verse 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. To conclude, find your reason to rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord always. 
Put your trust and your hope in Him. God knows better than you or I as to what we need. You will surpass our understanding. It will not be what we expect it to be. Guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus and put your faith into action by doing what God has planned for you and I to do. Don't know where to start? Simple. Get on your knees. Humble yourself and pray. Pray and ask God for where he wants you to be. Bring everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving to God. Then put your faith in him that he will provide all that we need. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is good news. Let's share with others. And let's welcome them too to share in the joy that we have in our almighty God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your Son, Jesus Christ, to us so that we have a hope and a salvation. Forgive us of our sins and forgive us of the times that we have taken your gift of grace and mercy for granted. Lord, help us to rejoice in whatever circumstances we may be in. And let our joy be infectious to those around us. Let them see and ask, why is this person so different? Why is this person so understanding, so loving, so just, so commendable? And when they ask you, what's the reason for who you are? Your response will be, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of our God, who loved us, who cares for us, who wants to be part of us. Dear Lord, we pray you convict our hearts today. Challenge us in any aspect that we need to be challenged in. May it be a matter of joy or rejoicing. Or may it be a matter of doing or actioning those things that you've commanded us to do. We pray that we pray for every heart and every soul that's listening to this message that we will be convicted, that we will be challenged and it will be brought near to you. Thank you, God. We give you praise for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious and the holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.